0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get it on, get it on, coming at you from a secret backwoods location in the middle of Texas. It's the highly opinionated and controversial voice of traditional old school Orthodox Christianity. This This is Spiritual Combat with Dr. Scott Sullivan. Hello, hello and welcome to Spiritual Combat. The show where we engage the enemy using prayer, fasting and full contact logic on the front lines and in the trenches, inviting you to join the resistance against the forces of lies, error and evil. I am your host, Scott Sullivan, and welcome to the show. Okay, so I want to start today by reading a couple of things to you that I've got that I've received on Facebook. You know, I get these kind of messages all the time uh, regarding Jesus and skepticism, atheism, whatever, uh, these comments from, you know, out of the blue, out of the Facebook blue, so to speak, uh, and, and it, it's pertinent to, to my message today. The first one says, and I'm not going to say the guy's name, okay, but the first one says, hey, Christianity is mythology, rooted in nothing, stolen from previous religions, made popular by a Roman ruler. There probably was a man named Jesus. He was, was he the son of God? Of course not. Did he walk on water? Of course not. The Bible is one of the silliest documents ever written, but what makes the belief in it so crazy is that almost none of the miracle stories are even original. They are all stolen from other mythology. That was one message I received. And here's another one that's related. It was a, it was in response to a post I did on the historical sources for Jesus. This guy says, Hey, read John Dominic Crossan. There is no Christian church until Paul invented it. Mark is the only gospel worth reading. And there are at least two other gospels no one else reads except scholars. Why is that? You see... All right, and so what this is here is this evinces what I am calling the biggest lie about Jesus today. It is extremely common. It is extremely common in my work that I've done for the Christ 101 Project. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard these sorts of things, these sorts of things. From college kids, it's just that they, they, they take it in in, in, the, in, the, in the air in which they breathe anymore. But I hear these kinds of things all the time, and it all stems from what I'm calling the biggest lie about Jesus. Now, what I'm calling the biggest lie about Jesus is simply this. The biggest lie about Jesus today is that we have no historical knowledge of him. Let me say that again. The biggest lie about Jesus today is that we have no historical knowledge knowledge of him. We just don't have any good historical sources, and this can take various forms. It can be, you know, different forms of historical skepticism, claiming the gospels are unreliable, uh, saying that, uh, as, as my Facebook commenter did a second ago, that it's all just a bunch of rehash of pagan stories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is extremely widespread, and if you don't see this, if you don't, if, if you think, man, you know, I'm a Christian, I've, I've never heard this, Then you need to get out of the house a little more. At least you need to get out of the Christian ghetto a little more and look at the unbelieving world because that is precisely what the majority of the non believing world thinks. They just, they think that. As a matter of fact, it's just assumed that that, that, these sorts of, this sort of thing is just true. It's true that we have no historical knowledge of Jesus and therefore, you know, it's all off. Now, I want to teach you today how to expose this biggest lie, okay? But, but before I start, uh, what I'm, all of what I'm about to say simply highlights the importance of history for Christianity. So I, w- I want to just say a word about this before I even get into the topic. The fact of the matter is that the Christian faith, or the one that you believe and I believe in whatever, whatever form you take, as long as it's some form of at least remotely orthodox, right, Uh, is that the Christian faith is rooted in a historical claim. The Christian faith says that God has acted in human history through the person of Jesus and and has exposed his activity, making that activity open to a historical investigation, okay? Look, if you're a Christian, you can't just not care about history. History matters to Christianity. There's no, no getting around it. If Jesus never existed or never claimed to be divine or never did miracles or whatever, then it's all over, okay? Christianity is false. You are wasting your time going to church on Sunday mornings. You see, pack up your stuff and go home. Don't worry about it because if there is no historical basis, then all of Christianity is just delusional. And the skeptics, get this, what upsets me is a lot of Christians don't. They think that history doesn't matter, that they can just go on and, and believing this kind of thing as if it didn't matter whether, whether or not there was really a man named Jesus, you see. So it's important. My point here is that history is important for Christianity because what we decide on the historical Jesus will certainly influence our view on the significance of Jesus and Christianity in general. All right, so all right, so let's just talk about this now. So where does this this stuff come from, you know? Where do people get these ideas like the Gospels are historically unreliable or that they, all that stuff just came from pagan mythology, etc.? Well, it comes from a long line of skepticism, no doubt. But uh, I think most recently, at least, we can point to the influence of things like the Jesus Seminar. If you don't know what the Jesus Seminar is, or at least was... It was kind of a small group of highly skeptical scholars. Uh, they, they didn't represent the mainstream of New Testament scholarship. It was very, it was very influential in the '90s, um, and they got a lot of uh, airtime on on popular media. You know, it's sensationalistic. Oh, did you know the Jesus story is all false? Oh, there's this Gospel of Thomas that the Catholic Church tries to hide. Blah blah blah. Okay but they get a lot of airtime because, or they at least got a lot of airtime because they were so sensationalistic. And, uh, their impact on popular culture is, is very large for that reason. Their, their impact is, is worth more than their, than their, uh, level of scholarship. Quite frankly, it's disproportionate. Um, they get more airtime than they deserve, I would say. But, uh, the point, their point was that, you know, Jesus was just a normal guy like us. Um, he never did any of those crazy miracle things that you hear about in the Gospels. Uh, later, Christians just made that stuff up, and therefore the birth of Christianity came later. So you got Jesus the man, and then Christ as God. Well, that came about later. That was just made up, you see. So they want to get down to the real Jesus, and this mess, what they call a real Jesus, and I say that with with a, a, a note of... of a, you know, scare quotes there. Quote unquote, real Jesus. Uh, the real Jesus, according to them at least, is very is just a normal guy like us, cool hippie, uh, maybe a, a nice sage or philosopher, but certainly not the son of God as Christianity holds. Now, needless to say, though, this message of the real Jesus is, is of course very sensationalistic it gets a lot of media coverage people are like well, wow man did you know that did you know the christmas story is all myth man did you know that there's this other gospel that the catholic church tried to hide called the gospel of thomas man that's amazing gosh this is really newsworthy stuff wow you know and people are sucked in by this it's very sensationalistic media eats it up because it just gets ratings and and so on right um, and because of this this uh, massive media coverage that people like the Jesus Seminar have received and, and still receive, um, the coverage is unwarranted, it's undeserved, and it's really disproportionate to their scholarly position because they are on the extreme fringe, the left-wing fringe, you could say, of New Testament scholarship. However, if, if what they say is true, well, then, then Christianity is, of course, in, in big trouble. Christians have been duped and are wasting their time. So this is where all this this stuff comes from about, at least in modern times, okay? Now, that being said, however, in, in spite of these sensationalistic claims about Jesus being just a normal normal guy and Christians making up his divinity later, um, what what can we say about that in terms of an academic response? Well... I think there are several good reasons to reject this line of thinking. First off, they just begin with an extremely skeptical attitude towards the Gospels. They, they just start off by assuming that the Gospels are not relaying factual information. There's this presumption of guilt, a, a guilty until proven innocent, if you will. Everything is doubted unless it can be independently verified. Now, now this... this kind of a skeptical standard, this extreme skepticism where you look at an ancient document and you say, you know what, I'm not going to accept anything out of that as true unless it can be historically verified by some other source. You can't do that. This standard is not used in any other area of ancient history. It's just, it raises the bar too high. If we applied that kind of overly skeptical standard, you know, across the board— Well, you wouldn't have any ancient history at all. Hardly anything can meet that sort of standard. So, one of the problems with their approach is simply that they raise the bar too high. They start with this unwarranted, extreme skepticism towards the Gospels that they wouldn't hold, nor would any other historian hold about other areas of ancient history. And, folks, this is not the only problem, they have other issues they've got issues, okay. I mean, they, another another thing they do is they begin with an anti-supernatural bias. So they, they just assume from the beginning. It's not, it's not proven. They just assume things like, well, miracles cannot happen. And if miracles can't happen, and we look in the Gospels and we see where they say Jesus did a miracle, guess what? We know that must be false. How do we know that? Did we find that through evidence or through some sort of Reasonable discovery? No, we didn't find it that way. We found it out, quote unquote, by assuming that miracles can't happen, you see. So, in other words, they've stacked the deck. Yeah, of course, you start off by assuming that Jesus must be a normal guy just like us, you know, that he couldn't have done any miracles. And lo and behold, upon your investigation, after all your years of quote unquote scholarly research, guess what you get? A Jesus who was a normal guy just like us. Boom. Call the newspapers. Get on the news. Someone tell CNN. Jesus was a normal guy just like us, says this scholar. You see, he didn't, but the thing is he didn't reach that conclusion based upon evidence. He assumed it from the beginning and read that into the history, if that makes sense. It gets worse. These highly critical scholars that you see on TV all the time will often make extremely radical claims without any evidence at all. John Dominic Crossan, for example, you know the, the guy in my my Facebook post says I should read him. Well, I've read John Dominic Crossan. Okay, he makes claims, radical claims, without any evidential support whatsoever. For example, he thinks. How, how does John Dominic Crossan, for example, explain the resurrection of Jesus or Jesus missing from the empty tomb or something like that? John Dominic Crossan says, well, it must be the case because, you know, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, well, we know miracles can't happen. So it must be the case then that Jesus, well, he was probably buried in a shallow grave and later on just dug up and eaten by wild dogs. That, that's what he says. He He actually thinks that, that is a reasonable historical hypothesis to explain uh, the historical data. The problem is, is there's is no evidence for this position. It's just completely ad hoc. It's just made up. It's just asserted. It's just thrown out there without any evidence whatsoever. Another problem with these guys is that they have absolutely no explanation for the crucifixion. You know, the quote-unquote real Jesus that they end up with is just this kind of a bland guy. He He never said anything to tick anybody off. Just a normal, nice guy, a smiley face Jesus. Never did anything to make anyone upset with him, let alone put him on a cross, you see. That's the the kind of Jesus they end up with. Now, the problem with this bland Jesus hypothesis is simply the fact that the crucifixion of Jesus is the most well-established fact we have about him. We can be historically certain about the crucifixion. And that crucifixion cries out for an explanation. Why did this guy get crucified? What did he do? Now step back and look at this, okay? Take those two things. Take the Jesus of the Jesus seminar of the of the biblical skeptics, you know, this nice cool guy, this new age hippie, hey man, peace. You know that that kind of a Jesus who who never said anything to tick anybody off. You know, a Jesus who would never claim to be God in front of Jewish authorities because that would tick them off. That would be a blasphemous claim, right? But the nice guy Jesus never did that stuff, you see? So you got that Jesus on, on one hand, okay? And then you got <laughs> the historical fact of the crucifixion on the other. How do those go together? You see, the nice guy Jesus. If that's all you got, that cannot explain the crucifixion. Why did this guy, this nice guy, get himself killed? There's no explanation if you take that approach. But I'm not even done yet, okay? Another problem with these guys is that they all the time, that they, they very frequently place an unwarranted amount of importance and emphasis on other works like the Gospel of Thomas, for example, The Gospel of Thomas, you know, John Dominic Cross, and he wants to push that one as more important than the Gospels, you see, and then push the Gospels down in in matters of importance. And when you do that, then you can kind of have wiggle room, so to speak, to get a different Jesus, a a Jesus that's different from the one of traditional old-school Orthodox Christianity, you see. Now, and the Gospel of Thomas is just one, but I'll just pick on that one for a minute because... It's the, it's the one that they most, you know, commonly appeal to and do that with, people like Crossan. Um, just so you know, uh, the Gospel of Thomas was not this secret, you know, hidden gospel that the Catholic Church tried to repress for, for, for centuries, blah, blah, blah. It's not that, like you see in the movies. The Gospel of Thomas is nothing new. It's no surprise. It's not a secret document that the Catholic Church tried to hide and suppress so they could put, put you know push forward some agenda through the traditional four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's not that, all right? The Gospel of Thomas was a document discovered in Egypt after World War II. It is well established as a Gnostic writing. A Gnostic is an early Gnosticism that is is an early religion Uh, having to do with secret knowledge. okay? Matter is evil, and you can have salvation through secret knowledge. By the way, if you want to know one of the reasons why the Gospel of Thomas is not one of the four canonical Gospels, or at least not included in as a canonical Gospel, all you have to do is read the last sentence. The last sentence of the Gospel of Thomas simply says that women must become men in order to be saved. You see... But anyway, the, the, the point here is that the earliest evidence we have, the absolute earliest evidence for the Gospel of Thomas is that it was written about 150 A.D., perhaps even a whole century after some of the earliest of the canonical Gospels. Perhaps, perhaps Mark, but I would even argue Matthew was likely to be first. Nevertheless, the Gospel of Thomas came almost a century later than the traditional four canonical gospels. It's it's much later. It shows dependence on the four canonical gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is not a surprise. There's no reason to elevate you know this later document in place of the four traditional gospels that we already have. You see, that, that's unwarranted. So these these this is, but this is what you get. Okay, this is what you get with these skeptics. And, and really, however erroneous their conclusions are, and, I, and I've, I've given you five reasons why we should think that their conclusions are erroneous, uh, nevertheless, like I said, man, they get a lot of airtime. They're on TV a lot. The, the media is very happy to shove a, shove a microphone in their face and get them to say something to, that will really shock people, you see. And this kind of nonsense has now trickled down through popular culture, to the masses. And so now when I go out and do things like my Christ 101 project, like we go to college campuses and, and interview kids, they just say things like this. They just say things like, you know, the Gospels are all based upon uh, myths or some of these things that I, that I read to you at the beginning with my Facebook post. The Popular culture is soaking this stuff up, man. And there needs to be a response traditional, old-school, orthodox Christianity needs to give a reasoned response. And that's what I'm trying to help you with here on this this podcast. But this sort of academic skepticism is one of the reasons why we have this big lie about Jesus in our culture, that we have no historical knowledge of Jesus, you see. And, And this thing is like a hydra, once you start with the assumption that we have no historical knowledge of Jesus, then all kinds of crazy stuff can come up, you see. Some people try to explain it this way. And again, this is extremely common too. What what one of my Facebook commenters said earlier, that the stories about Jesus are not real, they're not historical, they're not true stories. All they are is a rehash of pagan mythology, the mythology of Osiris or Whoever, you know. And what what they do is they try to find parallels between what the gospels say about Jesus and well, that's kind of like what this you know earlier mythology said about Osiris or or whoever. You see, so they draw some parallels and then infer from that, well, well then, since since there's some parallels there, well the heck. Well, therefore, the gospel writers must just be retelling the same old pagan stories that stuff about Jesus never happened. That's just rehashed pagan myth. But this is just unfounded, okay? There's no good reason to think this. All the evidence suggests otherwise. First of all, these alleged similarities are just exaggerated. You could take the pagan myths, lay them side by side against the gospel story. Do you find some similarities there? Sure, of course you can find some similarities, but, but they're exaggerated by these guys. The similarities are exaggerated. Just because you can find draw some parallels, you know, well, this, this ancient pagan god did this, and, well, that's kind of like what Jesus did. Therefore, what? Therefore, you derive a conclusion of literary dependence from that? Because there are some similarities between the Gospels and older pagan myths, this, that warrants the conclusion, therefore... The gospel writers depended upon those pagan myths and rewrote them? That doesn't follow at all. So so the first problem here is these similarities are just simply exaggerated. Yes, you can find some, but they aren't that meaningful. They aren't that compelling. Not enough to derive literary dependence, for sure. Now, the second problem with what we might call this college kid objection, okay, you know, that that the, the, the Jesus story is based on pagan myths, is that it's just simply absurd when you when you look at the situation contextually. It is absurd to think that devout, monotheistic, hardcore Jews would just willy-nilly be prone to adopt pagan idolatrous beliefs. They're not gonna do that. These are the guys, you know, these Palestinian Jews, these ancient Palestinian Jews were hardcore. I mean, you know, they, these are the guys that if you say something wrong, they tear their shirt off, you know. They're hardcore. They're not going to just willy-nilly go, oh, let's just pick up something from Osiris over here and throw that into our theology. No, they're not going to do that. That's absurd to think that, that 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 view completely misunderstands the whole ancient Palestinian context in which Jesus lived. In which the gospel writers wrote. You see, the earliest followers of Jesus were these hardcore believing Jews, and such people are not prone to adopt pagan idolatrous beliefs, not by any stretch. So this whole pagan myth objection simply disregards the whole historical context in which Jesus lived and in which the gospel writers and his followers lived too. And finally, the worst problem with this whole claim is simply the fact that the Jesus account contains many historically verifiable details. You don't get that stuff with myths. You don't don't get a bunch of historically verifiable details out of Hercules, you see. That just doesn't happen. But the Jesus account, we have a lot of historically verifiable details. I can't go into them all right now. Well, let's just look at a couple. Take, for example, the the, the one that is the strongest, the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, the crucifixion of Jesus is the most well-established fact we have about the historical Jesus. We know for a fact, with historical certainty, that Jesus not only existed, (laughs) but also died by crucifixion. How do we know that? Well, it's multiply tested, for one, in all historical accounts about Jesus, Christian, Christian non-christian, whether you're talking about the gospel writers, whether you're talking about the other New Testament epistles, whether you're talking about non-christian sources like Josephus, they all say this. Everybody who wrote about Jesus in that time, in one form or another, says this about Jesus. It's multiply attested. And you don't get that sort of multiple attestation with very much of ancient history. We just don't have all the documents. This is almost evidence of an unprecedented amount when it comes to ancient history. Hardly any other fact you have about ancient history can be as firmly established as the crucifixion of Jesus. Not a myth. Or take another example, the empty tomb of Jesus. What I'm saying here is that it is a historical fact that on the third day after Jesus died, his tomb was found empty. This is not a myth. You know, how you want to explain it might be a separate issue, but the empty tomb of Jesus himself is a historical fact. Why do we say that? Well, for a number of reasons. Again, it's multiply attested in early independent sources. All four Gospels say this. The empty tomb is in Mark. It's in Matthew. It's in Luke. It's in John. The early sermons in Acts attest to the empty tomb. Paul attests to the empty tomb in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8. And by the way with this 1 Corinthians passage, this isn't some later thing that Christians made up. This goes back very early to the earliest origins of Christianity. To Jerusalem, this idea of Jesus rising from the dead and the tomb being empty goes back to the earliest times of Christianity. Within one to three years of the death of Jesus. But we can know at least, but forget the resurrection for a second we can know at least that the tomb of Jesus was empty with, again, I say, <laughs> historical certainty. Why? Because it's multiply attested from various early independent sources. Another reason we could throw in there is that, that the, all the Gospels say it was discovered by women, and it's widely known by scholars that women were not considered as reliable witnesses in ancient Palestine as Josephus says in his ancient work, The Antiquities, but let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. Okay? This was, this was before feminism, before women's lib and women's rights and all that stuff. But at least back, whatever you think about that, at least it, you have to say that back then in ancient Palestine, women were not regarded as reliable witnesses. So if the empty tomb account were invented, you know why in the world would they choose women to be the primary witnesses of that fact? It doesn't make sense. It fits what scholars call the criterion of embarrassment. If you're making up a story in ancient Palestine about an empty tomb and you wanted to put one over on everybody, you would not make women your primary witnesses. But all four gospel accounts agree that the women found Jesus' tomb empty, and therefore, since that fact would not be made up, we should conclude that the empty tomb story is in fact true. Other things like, you know, abandoning the Sabbath. You know, for ancient Jews, Saturday, the Sabbath, was the holiest day of the week. The primary religious day of the week for ancient Jews was Saturday. Suddenly, Christians changed that. Christians now, don't get confused, these are Jews. Suddenly, they thought they should change the holiest day of the week from Saturday to Sunday. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they abandon the Sabbath and take the most cherished day of their week and move it a day back to Sunday? Surely something of significance must have happened on Sunday. Some event of extraordinary impact must have happened on a Sunday to get these ancient Jews to switch their holiest day to that day. And what could that have been except for <laughs> that's the day that the tomb of Jesus was found empty. Therefore, it is again supported as historical fact. And there are a lot of lines of evidence for this. Take the Jerusalem what scholars call. The Jerusalem factor. This is actually the most decisive reason for thinking the tomb of Jesus was found empty because the early Christians went out and preached the resurrection of Jesus. Where? Did they do it in Rome or some far off place like Antioch? No, they did it in Jerusalem, the exact same place where Jesus was crucified and buried. Okay, They're going around the same darn town saying, Hey, everybody, Jesus is back from the dead and you cannot get away with you could you could get away with that you know in a far off place like rome let's say you could get away with that why because they can't go check up on you if you say jesus is rose from the dead and his tomb is empty in rome well that that, that you can't go verify that very easily they can't refute you they can refute you in jerusalem they can't refute you in rome and where do the disciples do this in jerusalem where they can be refuted it's easy to refute an empty tomb claim in Jerusalem. You just take everybody there, roll back the stone and say, "Look, guys, uh-uh-uh, there's the body right there. This tomb ain't empty." They didn't do that. The enemies of Jesus, the enemies of Christianity who had every darn good reason to stomp out Christianity. They had every reason to do that. They didn't do that. Why not? Why wouldn't they go and point to an occupied tomb if the empty tomb was false? If Jesus was not there, they could easily refute the early Christian claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Why didn't the enemies of Christianity decisively refute the claim of resurrection and empty tomb? Why didn't they do that? Well, the only explanation is they couldn't do that. The tomb was, in fact, empty. I mean, the only evidence we have as their, as their response is, well, the disciples must have stolen the body. But even that admits that the tomb was empty, whether or not that's true or not, it at least admits the tomb of Jesus was found empty. And then there, So there's a lot of this stuff, okay? But I'm just ta- all I'm doing right now, I'm going to go back to my point. My point was, this is not myth. There are historically verifiable details, and I just gave you two examples. The crucifixion of Jesus and the empty tomb of jesus can be established as historical fact and you don't get that with myths myths are myths they don't contain historical facts like that and so if someone wants to come along now and say "Oh, the the gospels are a myth no the burden of proof lies upon them to prove that we have a ton of evidence like i said a while ago we have a lot of evidence to show that this is not a myth. If you want to come along and say otherwise, then the burden of proof is on you to prove that. You've got to come up with some evidence on your own. The skeptic skeptic doesn't just get off scot-free and just get to throw things out there with no supporting evidence. No, that is, I'm sorry, that is not good enough. Here is the evidence for the historical facts. Where is your evidence for the claim that the Jesus narratives are just rehashed pagan mythology? There is none. Quite frankly, there is no such evidence. That is what we call in logic an assertion. An assertion is just a claim without any rational support. So look, I know I've covered a lot of stuff today, and I, I kind of get excited, and I kind of go off on maybe giving you more than you wanted to know, you know. But look, let me let me just summarize it for you, okay? Let me, let me pull all this together. My point was to give you some some ammo on how to expose the biggest lie about Jesus. The biggest lie about Jesus today is like I said, we have no historical knowledge of him. This takes this claim this claim about, you know, the non-historicity of Jesus, what you might call it, I told you that it started with skeptical scholars like those who appear in the Jesus Seminar, but the problem with with, with their view, the problem with their approach is they begin with an unwarranted skepticism. They begin with an anti-supernatural bias. They sometimes at least make very radical claims with no evidence at all. They have no explanation for the crucifixion. And they place in an unwarranted and undeserved emphasis on things like the Gospel of Thomas. And when it comes to this other stuff about the Jesus story being derived from pagan mythology, well, <laughs> that is simply absurd like I said, the similarities between the two are exaggerated. Two, it's absurd to think that devout monotheistic Jews would be prone to adopting pagan idolatrous beliefs. And three, the Jesus account itself contains many historically verifiable details. That's all we have time for today, folks. This is Scott Sullivan. Visit us on the web at www.scottmsullivan.com where I have some more resources for you regarding Christian faith and apologetics, theology, and things of that nature. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can do that there on iTunes, or you can do it on your Joy device, any device you have. You can subscribe to our podcast. That way you'll be notified when the next one comes out. I look forward to talking to you in the next episode of Spiritual Combat your with, face. with Grace. You're to Spiritual combat. Combat. Parkour Parkour Catholic Hardcore Radio, Forum. Catholic Radio with Doctor Scott Sullivan. www